more than the clothes we wear. Style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk to New York fashion publicist Kelly Catrone. New York's Kelly Catrone walks a fine line between fire and ice. A kind of disruptor, she's one of the American fashion industry's hottest publicists. Her People's Revolution Agency, which she founded in 1996, has helped stage some of New York Fashion Week's hottest events, and her fiery personality has played a role in helping to build the brands of several named designers, including the beloved Jeremy Scott. On the other hand, she's the ultimate in cool, a smart and savvy, tough chick who has an innate understanding of what is and isn't hip. She starred in a variety of reality shows, including The Hills, and has written two books, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside, and Normal Gets You Nowhere. Sassy, outspoken, and fearless, Kelly knows what makes brands tick and how to make one's voice heard. Her experience in fashion's trenches has made her one tough warrior, proving once again that in fashion, as in life, only the strong survive. Kelly Catrone, I am so thrilled to welcome you to this episode of Beyond Style Matters because I've uh, I've been such a major fan of yours for so long since those old uh, days in the trenches when uh, I watched you in action. Boy, you are one tough chick. I just want to start <laughs> this because I'm always accused of never saying anything nice, right? That's like a big part of it. But I think that people don't understand the amount of influence that you've had on my life for sure. Like when I got into the fashion business, there were like four or five names that you knew, like maybe six. So it was, it went like this, not in any order. Anna Wintour, Fern Malice, Jeannie Becker, Susie Mankus, and Marie Christian Marek, and Amy from the New York Times, Amy Spindler, who's passed. And that that was it, even more than even Bridget Foley. Those were the names. Like, that was it. You never messed with those bitches. But um, you are such a legend. You have... And I hate it when people call me legend now because then it means old, but it doesn't mean that to me. It means, like, you paved a way for yourself in an industry that doesn't like people to stay for more than five years. And if they do, they don't like them to leave well and healthy or to be there longer than they decide. And so the amount of you know, tenacity and humility that's required to have the story that you have is, I just want to say, I bow as I should to the generation that came just before me. We're not that far apart. And um, thank you for all the work that you did that allowed me to be the person that stood there to help people like you. And I hope to do the same for other young kids. Every great conversation needs a pause. So this is the perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so you might ask, why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some amazing designers, wonderful Canadians like Brian Bailey, Kim Newport Mimran of Pink Tartan fame, and Hilary McMillan, as well as quality brands like Lamarck and Ron White Shoes. 
It's one-stop shopping for everything you need to make your own style statement. And of course, TSC offers so much more than mere fashion. Shop tsc.ca and discover some great brands at some great prices. We are living at a time where um, standing up for yourself and speaking your mind and having a point of view, um, no matter how different it is from everybody else's, all those things are celebrated and applauded. I mean, they weren't always. I mean, there were there were many uh, years, especially in the fashion business, where you were required to be kind of sheepish because if you were too big, you know, you just got chopped down, you know, and, and it's all, or, or if you had opinions that were, you know, too radically different from everyone else's, uh, they were not welcome at all. And you would be shoved out. Um, you have been one person in the fashion industry who, from the get-go, from, you know, the moment I met you, had a very strong presence and a very strong voice and a very unique point of view and displayed a kind of fearlessness that wasn't common in fashion circles. That became your brand, I suppose, in a way, the fact that you were as gutsy. as How did you go about doing, was that like a, a conscious decision to brand yourself in that way for that to become what you were known for? No, I'll tell you how strange it was. Um, I had been a music publicist before I got into fashion and then I left that um, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I moved to Topanga and, um, had a radical spiritual awakening, which I wrote about in my first book called, if you have to cry, go outside. And, and then from there, uh, got a record deal and was signed to Atlantic. And then that kind of fell apart and I started people's revolution. But when right around that time I had been in India and I met a guy who became my spiritual teacher and still is, and I was reading a journal that I had written in when I was in India and it said, Mikhail thinks I'm going to become one of the most powerful women in the in the history of the fashion world and that I'm going to radically change the fashion industry. Ha ha ha. That'll never happen. I don't give a fuck about fashion. <laughs> and so you can imagine you know, you could imagine what had happened when I found myself as a fashion publicist because it was not how I started out to be. I think that I got that reputation of being fearless because the first few years that I did it, I was quiet. I was smart enough to be quiet. I knew intuitively that fashion was going to be the new rock and roll. And I left the music. But then what happened was people would come into a showroom and they'd be like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. I die. I die. Love, love. I die. And I'd be thinking to myself, this looks like shit. Like, <laughs> this is a disaster. Like, who decided to do pink mink gauchos for summer that are going to sell it for $26,000 and like animal murder. But I, I'd be like thinking it to myself, like almost like Larry David, like verklempt inside. But I didn't have the experience. I didn't know anything about fashion. And there I was in fashion all of a sudden, but in a tiny little way. And then what started to happen was it, it built up really quick. So my, I, I didn't have that voice. So I, I sat back and I was quiet. And then one day I just remember 
I don't remember what designer it was, but all these people were like, this is amazing. And I was like, this isn't amazing. This sucks. And here's what the editors are going to say. They're going to say that, you know, your idea is scattered. Like, why would you use a polka dot and a floral and a stripe print and not repeat each of the geometrics at least once? Boom. Like, you know, you don't have 54 looks. You have eight and you're just doing them in different fabrics. And like, and by the way, nobody wants to see 74 looks from a new designer. So shut it and fucking make 24 and stop trying to do too much. So that took a really long time. But then after a while, when you're the person, because when you do what I do, right, which is we really launch brands, we help, we're storytellers, we help people tell their stories. But in fashion, that means you produce the fashion show. And we'll talk about this of people wanting to make their brand. You're coming up with the statements a lot of time, the inspiration, who the current kids are that should be wearing it, what models should be in the show, what your relationship is, casting, all of this shit that goes into this, you know, it's like very, 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 very complex. But if people don't do the right thing in our business, if something great happens, the designer thinks it's because they're awesome. And if something bad happens, it's because we suck. So we're going in between this incredibly unfair curve, you know, of, of, of nobody taking responsibility of blame. So it, it's impossible. And so my job has always been with my clients, like, don't ever get caught up in this trap. If my trap is that you can't get press because you suck, that's the same thing as saying you're getting all of this press because you're great. Like, it doesn't work like that. We have to work together. And so that, you know, that was not a surprise to any of my clients. They didn't always like it. But, you know, I, I had to develop that personality because I would have been killed. I'm too sensitive. I really can't understand that somebody would come into a fashion show and take a seat as an assistant that's meant for you. And that has the audacity to do it when that seat's costing 500 or a thousand dollars. Right. And then on top of it, it's going to call me a bitch. Like I I couldn't imagine that people would even do that. Like where I'm from, nobody would ever do that. So when I got into this business, I was in shock and I tried at the beginning to be like, Oh, excuse me. Like, I don't know if you know, but like the seat is meant for Jeannie Becker or the seat's meant for, and there must be some mistake. Like we all know that the person, you know, I tried all that stuff. It didn't work. What are most people, you know, willing to do in terms of the the directives that you give them? And, and what do some people balk at? Because I'm sure you must have, you know, a whole slew of, of how-to directives and what they should be doing. I mean, that's the business you're in, but how receptive? Are- it's a couple of things. So we could talk about how people come to me, usually unprepared. So they're like somebody with an average, like a kid who tests, let's say like a C plus student and they, and they say, I want my child to go to Harvard. And it's like, well, okay, how much money do you have? None. Uh, okay. What kind of extracurricular sports is getting? None. So it's just like, they're not really accurate about where they're at. Like, so when somebody comes to me specifically and says, I want you to get me in Vogue, I go, okay, I've done that a thousand times, gotten people in Vogue. Where's your Vogue product? Show me your Vogue product. Cause then we can add on to that. We can go Bergdorf Goodman, we can go Barney's or we can go Vogue, Globe and Mail. The, the, the most important thing is you don't have to have the best product in the world. It's like Madonna. Is she the best singer? No, she's really not. But could she sing enough? Hell yeah. And did she understand like showmanship? Hell yeah. Did she understand the hair and makeup and the body image and what she needed to do to get to where she wanted to go? Hell yeah. Did she play the game? Hell yeah. Did she smile and do the dance? Hell yeah. Okay. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to have 22 gauge cashmere made from just be willing to play the whole game. You have to be willing to do it and you have to have a good story because otherwise it's just 
you might as well go to the dollar store for real. People are buying stories. That's so interesting because this whole idea of story and we keep hearing storytellers, you know, are um, have become so important in our society, certainly with the uh, the advent of, of social media and how crazy that's gone. Everyone's just looking for that kind of content, for those kinds of stories. And a lot of people want to cultivate stories for themselves. I mean, is that something that someone can do? What we're buying are the stories. So let's just start with what is the story? Who do they want to tell? And what are you going to do? And how are you going to tell it? And then we need to separate that group of people out from the Palo Alto rich kids. What side of the fence are these people on? Are they TikTokers who all of a sudden, because they're 18 and they have like 3 million followers, they all of a sudden now know something about clothes? Like we need to figure out who these people are. But for the straight fashion kids, right? The straight kids who want to go into fashion and branding and beauty and stuff like that, figure out what your story is and do, and make it real. Because when someone comes into an office with like, insensitivity and dollar signs in their eyes and then they spiel off two children about orphan kids in Kathmandu it doesn't really play well you know so you can be the great thing about fashion is you can be a total elitist you don't have to be nice to anybody if you don't want to you can not make clothes for people over a size eight you can not ever put a person of color or whatever you can do whatever the fuck you want that's what fashion people do now the times are changing a little bit but you don't have to cater to everybody and everything Pick your freaking lane, (laughs) figure out what it is that you have to say and what the story is. And you don't have to be inclusive in any way. Like you can do a straight women's line. You can do a men's line. You can do a gender fluid line. You can do, you can do whatever you want and and pick your lane and then figure out what your story is. But you should really have a, a good story. And then in my opinion, you have to do everything at the beginning. You shouldn't hire anybody like us unless you have a lot of money and you want to be told what to do. Most people who want to play in the fashion industry don't like to be told what to do. That's for sure. Certainly not for the faint of heart. And certainly has changed so much since you first started. <laughs> like, wow, like the changes have been monumental. The whole industry has shifted in, in such an incredible way. The power of the brand, though, is it becoming stronger or weaker? I mean, do people care more about brands or maybe not so much? If they find great products, that's good enough. Well, I think the big box store killed brands in the sense of like, that's why brands have to have a good story now. They, they, they took all of that business. They just took it. Fast fashion just took that. So you kind of have to have something to say. And not only that, you better have a point of differentiation like Stella McCartney. I mean, Stella did a really good job. She came out early as a vegan, didn't want to do animal kill. And nothing that she did was smart from a business standpoint. I mean, you think about it like such a small percentage of people are vegetarians in America and they don't give a fuck. But her clothes were so good that people were buying it despite the fact that no animals were killed. But here she yeah. is like 20 years later, and but she stuck by it and she just stuck in her lane. You know, you didn't see her going like, hmm, nobody seems to care. Like everyone's wearing fur coats to the Met Ball. Like we're not selling as much as Anna Sui. You know, maybe we should rethink it. Like she stayed with it. What made you stay with it for all these years, Kelly? What was it? Is it a a love of people? Uh, I I don't believe it was a love of fashion with a capital F because I think you're so beyond the clothes. And, you know, I I know you must appreciate the beauty. I don't know. I mean, first of all, I had to. Like, I come from a poor family. So 
I always say there's two types of people in the fashion business. There's like the people who own the horses and then the ones who sleep with the horses, right? That's who's in the horse business, equestrians. So I had to work, you know what I mean? I had a big life and I had to work. So I don't know. I just started People's Revolution and I just went back every day. I mean, there's so many times that I've hated the industry and there's so many times that I've hated my lifestyle. And there's so many times that I've been completely enamored with the industry and enamored with the people and enamored with the stories. And the thing that's cool is, is that you're always learning something new. Now that the business has changed into something else, I mean, it's almost like the business of the business sucked all the the artistry or, or a lot of the, 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 the creativity and the magic out of it. It just became so much about the bottom line. First of all, the retailers have accepted bullshit, okay? And so have the designers. The retailers have been very violent historically to young designers. It's very hard for them to work. It's almost impossible to meet the mandates of department stores. And that's why we saw what happened was, you know, the Europeans were like, no, you're not going to, we're not selling your shit anymore. We're going to have our own stores. And so they all just started opening stores and then buying out department stores in America. As we know, people don't understand when you go to a Gucci to go buy a Gucci bag at Saks, you're not dealing with a Saks employee, you're dealing with a Gucci employee. Then it made it a real estate business. So 60 or 70% of that is a fucking real estate business. And there's no way for young talent to grow. There's no way. This is what would be compared to what inner city schools used to look like at the, turn, at the time of civil rights. There was no way for this young talent to come up. Just like if you're a soda maker, you think your shit's gonna be in the grocery store. It's not, those shelves are owned. So. You know, that was the beginning of the problem. And then for the 30% left who had already been ethno cleansed due to money, due to losses from these big box stores. So now we have girls like Amber, who are 24, who went to FITM, who's now a buying expert. Oh, really? Well, guess what Amber goes and does? Amber goes and buys the exact same fucking shit for stall number one, stall number two, stall number three. Why? Because that's my customer. Instead of saying, you already have the 70% of the black straight leg jeans. You have it from Joe's jeans, you have it from Rag and Bone, you have it from the Koopals. The list goes on and on. It's the same shit. So why don't we take that 20 or 30% and really bring some of this new talent up? But no, nobody wanted to do that. So then you have my type of clients that are making a collection, okay, because this is the formula, by hand all night long in Brownsville, like the worst neighborhood outside the Bronx, you know? Because that's the only place they can afford studio space and all this shit. And they spend $250,000 getting the collection made. By the time you get the leather, the shoes, the ba-ba-ba, the did-did-did, or even 80 or 150, they get all excited. So then they go and then you have to do a free fashion show. So you have to give everything away in trade. So you're giving away more product. And all of a sudden, Julie Gilhart, who was the head of Barney's, is going to come down and she's going to write an order. And oh my God, you've arrived. Well, congratulations. You just wrote a $20,000 order for a collection that cost you 100,000. And out of that 20, probably $4,000 is profit. So you made $4,000 for six months. Now, this is a system that uses youth and doesn't give a fuck about what they do to it from a consumer standpoint, right? And also from a talent standpoint, because how are those kids supposed to be heard? The really cool kids are the ones that are over there whose mom didn't know how to lobby for them. And so this is what's happening. And then I started seeing the egos of the designers just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's a system that became cathartic on its, it became um, tartared, you know, on its own bullshit. 
I think that fashion people just need to be honest. You know what I mean? Because they just seem like they're always trying to be what people tell them that they need to be. And I think it, it, it just gets crazy. You know, you wrote a book quite a while back, um, the book, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside. And it had an impact like on a lot of young women, obviously. I mean, especially at a time when they weren't getting a lot of mentorship advice. I mean, you were really one of the, at the forefront of that whole mentorship movement, I think, really. That kind of advice came to me too late because I had already cried in front of a bunch of bosses. I mean, I ne- I always thought one of my trademarks or, you know, something that would feel authentic to me and my story was the fact that I would wear my heart on my sleeve no matter what. And if I felt like crying, you know, I, I, I would cry. How do you feel about uh, the advice that you gave now in retrospect is it still a good idea to keep your I'm like you I think I cried at your house one night I remember I was crying <laughs> the if you have to cry go outside thing came when people make huge mistakes and they know what they did was crazy and you're sitting there and you're saying do you understand you know why did you call this person and say this did I ever tell you that I wanted you to speak for me in my business no. Okay. Well, that just cost me $200,000. What you just did. Do you want to pay me the money back? Or do you want me to forgive you? Like, how does this go? Like, I'm going to eat the money. Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> and it's like, no, you're not going to do this here. You're not going to sit here now and disrupt this whole group of people with your sorry tears when your ego put you in the front, which got us all in this position because none of us are going to care that you're crying because your ego thinking you had to be me, even though I didn't hire you to be me. Did I ask you to ever speak to my clients about this? No. Okay. These people pay $20,000 a month. You told them X, Y, and Z. It was totally crazy. We're fired. You want to make up this money? You want me to go tell three people outside that I can't afford to keep them there because loose lips sink shits? Like what, what? And now you're going to cry in the office? No. Here's, here's a little tip. If you do that, you know, either call an attorney and don't say anything and make sure you know what your rights are before you admit to doing something or say, I'm terribly sorry. Could we please speak about this in private or remove yourself from the situation? Don't sit there because my office was a showroom. So there's people everywhere. You know what I mean? It's just like, I should be the one crying. You're crying with joy, perhaps. The, the fact that you kept yourself relevant, that you're uh, helping people to tell their stories and telling your own fantastic stories. So the best advice I can give anybody who's thinking about starting their own brand right now is that this is a great time to start brands because so many of the bigger brands are going to be wiped out because their stuff was stuck abroad and they couldn't get it or the retailers went out of business. And a lot of the push of the eyes are going to be on European talent until Americans step in and step up. So I would recommend the following one. Think about what your story is. What do you have to say and who do you want to sell it to? And also maybe just start with one item and really engage your social media. Start looking at other brands, whether it's a brand like Supreme or you know, a brand like Alice and Olivia, depending on what you guys are into, see where they sell and what they're about and who follows them on social media and start following those people and try to sell your stuff on Insta, Facebook, TikTok, however it is that you guys go about it and do as much as you can that way because other people are going to see you, they're going to hear about you and then they're going to connect. See who's writing about stuff that's like yours and just 
you know, send them a free T-shirt or something and tell them that you like their stories. What I think is uh, great is that uh, what you're saying, yes, you're talking specifically to people with small little fashion brands. I think that applies to anything, no matter what you're trying to sell. You know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to sell ourselves. And if those are the things that people are feeling like, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. Then put yourself there because there are going to be people who are humble and awakened cosmically or from a consciousness standpoint to see you and to feel your vibes. And regardless of where you went to school or what you're wearing or how much money you have or don't have, they're going to pick up that vibe as a similar vibe and they will know that they are meant to help you and they will help you. Isn't that crazy? Or they will be nice to you. And sometimes that's all it takes is somebody like how you were to me when I came in or different experiences. That's sometimes all it takes to get the person up the next rung of the ladder. And that's the thing about authenticity. It's the number one currency on the planet. Yeah, there's something to be said for intention and the power of positive thinking and taking your own bull by the horns and riding it and just going. And and just remembering that if you're going to ride a bull, you're going to hit the cement a lot. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Kelly, thank you so much. Such a joy to talk to you. Thanks for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. You are the bomb. Thanks for listening. To see video versions of the podcasts, check out tsc.ca slash style matters. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.